Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Wexford General Hospital has been evacuated after a fire ripped through parts of the building. We are live at the scene. The Social Democrats have a new leader. I speak to Holly Carnes live here in studio. Businesses see the benefit of lower electricity tariffs, but still no respite for struggling homeowners. And the chief medical officer urges older people to return to the things you love three years after COVID hit the country. You can join our conversation online with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. Again tonight in Wexford where a fire has ripped through the General Hospital there. An emergency was declared and the hospital was evacuated. There were more than 200 patients there at the time. There are no reports tonight of injuries. Well, the fire has now been brought under control and Paul Quinn is live in Wexford with more for us. Paul, what can you tell us at this point in the night about the fire and about how much it's been uh, contained? Yeah, that's right, Claire. Well, one nurse that I spoke to who was leaving the hospital uh, a little bit earlier said that it was a miracle that nobody was killed here today. And I think that's in no small part down to the, uh, the quick reaction and the actions of Wexford Fire Service. Several crews responded. The alarm was raised at around a quarter to four. Um, a fire broke out in what's described as the plant room, uh, which is just behind me. It's on the second floor. Um, a significant fire engulfing part of the building, uh, extensive damage done and this evening then a major emergency incident was declared and the decision was taken to evacuate the entire hospital some 207 patients and hundreds of staff as well now George Lawler is Cahirlock of Wexford County Council their building is just across the road he joins us now um, George at this stage the fire is contained the crews remain here on the scene but it's the logistics now of evacuating some 200 patients to hospitals right across the region. Probably the biggest uh, emergency healthcare uh, crisis, certainly in Wexford, if not the country, where we have uh, 200 patients, in excess of 200 patients, that have to be transferred out of uh, Wexford General Hospital. And uh, I've been speaking to the National Ambulance Service, and they've been transferred, transferred all over the country, in Beaumont, Vincent's, St. Vincent's Hospital, uh, Kilkenny, Port Leash, all the hospitals of the state are being utilised in this crisis. A very distressing situation for the families and, and patients, obviously, uh, who, who have to be uh, uh, redeployed, if you like. Uh, but certainly uh, everybody has stood up to the plate. Uh, that includes the voluntary and statutory agencies. Talk to me about what's happening up at the council offices at the moment. Yes, in Wexford County Council uh, building headquarters, which is about 300 yards up the road here, we have stationed 
heading for you know the bones of 100 ambulances that have come from all over the country, uh, particularly voluntary agencies like the Order of Malta, like the Irish Red Cross, uh, like the Civil Defence, who have uh, volunteered to transfer, and they're obviously highly qualified and highly skilled individuals to transfer these patients right across the, the country. They are working currently in league with the National Ambulance Service, and the National Ambulance Service are deploying these people to wherever whatever hospital can take the patients uh, in a timely and efficient manner. Obviously a very fast-moving emergency earlier on this afternoon when we were driving down here there was ambulances you know, flying past us, ambulances coming out uh, from this direction heading as you said to other parts of the country. A lot of people, a lot of families, loved ones were very anxious. We were getting even messages on social media asking you know, they, they weren't sure what was happening with their loved ones. So you know a lot of, a lot frantic, of anxiety, anxiety and, yeah. and frantic, frantic people. I spoke to one mother whose child was in an incubator in, in the hospital and those mothers and babies have been transported as well tonight so you can imagine the logistics of that operation but certainly it's been handled superbly by both the National Ambulance Service and the voluntary agencies and the actions of Wexford County Council Fire Service uh, here this evening or, and this afternoon was just immense allied to the professionalism of the staff here at Wexford General Hospital but the notion that overnight we're, we're going to have to close down a hospital and transfer the entire patient community of that hospital and my own daughter a nurse in Wexford General Hospital, she's travelling to one of the hospitals around the country with patients. So it's a logistical nightmare, but certainly so far it's, it seems to be working very well and, you know, we have things in hand, but it's, we have a long road ahead. George Lawler, thank you very much for joining us uh, tonight. Uh, Claire, just before we go, uh, the hospital group in charge of this hospital has issued a statement in the last couple of minutes saying that the process of transferring all those patients will take up to 24 hours. There is a special helpline if family members or loved ones want to find out some information. Uh, that number is 53 that's 053915312. They say all elective and outpatient appointments in the hospital have been cancelled for Thursday and Friday of this week. They will not be in direct contact with these patients and also urging people to uh, obviously stay away. The hospital will now be closed and to go to an A&E uh, in another part of the country. But as uh, George mentioned, a huge logistical challenge now underway tonight over the next 24 hours or so. Then the investigations, of course, will get underway into exactly what happened. Paul, thank you for bringing us up to date there from Wexford General Hospital tonight. Thank you for that. Now, the Social Democrats have a new leader. Holly Carnes took over from Roisin Shorthall and Catherine Murphy and today said she's unashamedly ambitious about the future. And Holly joins me live now in studio. Uh, thanks. It's been the end of a busy day for you today, Holly. We appreciate you joining us in studio tonight. Um, I think, um, you know, when you addressed... Uh, members of your party, um, as well as the media today, you said, you know, I don't fit the stereotype, the stereotype as a leader of a political party in this country. And I think people will find that refreshing. However, it is fascinating seeing as you ran, first ran uh, for a county council seat uh, just four years ago, and you say you are unashamedly ambitious, as we mentioned there. So was it always the goal despite not fitting the stereotype, was it always the goal to lead the party? No, it's the truth. Um, I never saw myself as a leader of a political party or perhaps anything, if I'm honest. Um, I have to say I never saw myself as being a county councillor or a TD either. Um, but 
that's what happened. You know, I was kind of, I think for a lot of people, this might sound so obvious, but for me, I really had a light bulb moment during the repeal the eighth campaign. I'd kind of maybe been engaged through marriage equality and then really got stuck into repeal. And for me, it was that light bulb moment that actually knocking on doors, asking for votes is how you affect change. And I was talking about this today to imagine that from that moment to here today, how am I standing in front of my parliamentary party colleagues as the next leader? It's difficult for me to believe. Um, but I suppose that is how I got here. It's through all of those different kind of knock on effects. And I think the reason that I then decided to actually go for it and give it absolutely everything now is that I think this is the time in Irish politics that the tide is turning. And for a party like ours to grow, we need to reach people who, like I was only four years ago, don't necessarily see themselves as somebody who gets involved, who even votes necessarily, all of these different things. And I hope that because of that, I'm well-placed to reach people who at home, like me, I remember watching The Tonight Show and thinking, I feel so unrepresented. Uh, so what do you want to bring the party uh, that hasn't been achieved to date? Where, where do you want to bring the party exactly? You're talking about those people who, who don't vote, who don't feel like they have a political home. Um, are, are you reaching out specifically to them? Where do you want to go that, you know, Roisin Shortall, Catherine Murphy hasn't done to date? Roisin and Catherine built an incredible foundation, you know, to start the party only eight years ago. After mm. five years, they had... 21 councillors, six TDs, we have 35 branches all over the country. So I'd like to build on that foundation. It's very much a kind of, I want to keep going and keep driving the party. But you must have an idea to bring something new. You must have ideas. Absolutely. I want the party to reach its maximum potential. And, you know... And how do you see that? I see it by reaching people who won't necessarily see themselves as being involved in politics. And honestly, it's actually not just those people. My honest belief is that so many people in Ireland actually believe in the same things as us. We just haven't maybe necessarily realised that that option is there because we've always had this option between kind of historically, it's been, you know, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and the kind of civil war aspect of the Irish history, you know. And now is the time it's changing. People are deciding what way to vote. And I think this is a time where we can really grow and reach those people. And my aim is to work tirelessly to do that. I feel very determined. And as you just... will well know, that is a very crowded field at the moment, if you like, what has been dubbed the soft left. Um, there are many parties that would occupy that. The, the Green Party would probably say they are, Labour would probably say they are, and, and then, of course, yourselves. And you have 21 councillors now and six TDs. Isn't growing the party a major ask? There's no particular safe seats. I don't think anyone should ever take their seat for granted. Uh, I remember when I was going for the election, people saying to me, that's a Fianna Gael seat. And, you know, it's a Cork Southwest seat and everybody needs to earn the trust of their sure. electorate and, but and do, keep it. Do you have targets in mind? Specific in seat numbers, in terms of growth. So you're around 3 to 4% in the polls, as are other parties, those ones I mentioned before, the Greens, Labour. They're all hovering around there. So, so where are you targeting? How, uh, how many seats are you looking at? Initially, like you say, the six TDs we have, I think, are doing an amazing job and we all will work to keep those seats. Then there's councillors in places like uh, Leash Offaly. We have Claire Claffey. She's the only woman in Offaly County Council. I think she would have a great shot at a seat. 
Councillor Lisa O'Donovan and Limerick would have a fantastic shot of seat. Councillor Ronan Moore in Meath West. And, you know, so they're the, the, the start. We start with the people we have. We recently had Mary Roach join our party in Waterford. And of course, we want to build. If I knew a kind of exact number, I'd be straight down to the bookies. And I'm not saying that mm. to try and avoid the question. I think, like, so you have like set the targets. You've, you've mentioned three or four people there. So six TDs, you'd hope to have maybe 10. Like, would you like to see a doubling? You know, I'd like realistically, to see, I'm, I feel, or, or are you worried about setting targets because people like me will come back and say, <laughs> yeah. you know, you said twelve, you said twelve seats, you didn't. You I didn't think quite achieve no, that. it's not even that. I think I and I hate watching a politician on a TV program kind of avoid a question, but I don't mean it like that. I'm not, I can't predict that at the moment. Like I couldn't have predicted that, like that, in the space of four years, I would have gone from knocking on a door for repeal to mm -hmm. the leader of the Social Democrats. So it just, I don't think we can really anticipate at this time where change is so in the air, what way it's going to go. And I think it will depend on how good a job that I do and the parliamentary party do in terms of reaching other people, how quickly we can find candidates and build on them. It's no easy feat. You categorically said no to a merger with the Labour Party today. You, you stated that now you got a lot of support from um, your Social Democrat supporters who were in the room. But you cited their time in government as breaking the trust that it had with the Irish people. Is that where you see then the key difference uh, between your party and the Labour Party? They spent time in government and Social Democrats obviously haven't. I don't think it's necessarily just about spending time in government, but it's how you approach that task and I think... But if trust... Social Democrats ha haven't had the chance to spend that time in government or haven't been challenged with spending that time in government as what will be a smaller, much smaller coalition partner, um, you know, can you really say that you would be any different? Yes, I can. And I mean that. I, I really, really do. I think, you know, Roisin Shortall was in government before and she left on a point of principle to mm. do with where healthcare facilities were being built, you know, in relation to where people wanted to get votes rather than where perhaps they were needed. And that is the kind of approach that we need. And that is the kind of honest politics that the Social Democrats were built on. So that if you were in government, you would leave government on a point of principle like that. You would have, if you were the leader of the Labour Party at the time, you would have been gone. We would have ensured that our policies would be implemented. At least you have your red lines. You go into a programme for government and you know at that point, is it worth it? You know, you don't go in for the sake of making up the numbers. You don't go along with another party policy that isn't mm. what you've promised your voters. Because the, I think the really important thing here is that trust is the most important commodity in And politics. all political parties will say that. That is ultimately what they want to have. They're not going to get seats if they don't have the, the trust of the electorate. But I want to, what I want to ask mm. you is then, what, what are your red lines? What would your red lines be in government? Because you do want to be a viable part of a government. You have stated that as one of your party aims as leader. 100% we want to go into government. I didn't go into politics to stay in opposition, although I've realised the value of opposition being in it. We are determined to govern. Um, red lines, I mean... Housing is a huge issue. My generation is mm. completely locked out of home ownership at the moment. And, you know, that is a very much a red line issue. But I think for people sitting at home, I'm so conscious that when I say priorities for us are housing, health, climate, every political party is saying this. They are. So if I can just give maybe a particular example rather mm. than saying the same kind of jargon that we're so bored of hearing. I think, for example, the government will say the same thing in a way as me. I think we need to build more social affordable homes. I think we need to tackle vacancy and dereliction. An example, the government introduced their vacancy and dereliction tax at 
10%, whilst in house price inflation was at 10%. That's like saying to somebody who owns a vacant derelict property, I'll go on. You know, like a little nudge in that direction. That's not punitive. Okay, so, so that in would a programme be, for government, so, 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 so tackling vacant homes tax would be a, a sort of a red line. And if that's absolutely. not, absolutely, slaunch care achieved. is a red line. Real climate action is a red Although line. Although slaunch care, yeah. arguably, you know, the government have set out their stall that they are trying to push for that. There are challenges when you are within government. The question I'm asking mm. is, say, if you want to be a viable part of government, are you saying no? to going in with Fine Gael, to fin with Fianna Fáil, with the Greens, with the current coalition partners, would you rule that out? No, I wouldn't rule out going into government with the party. I think our door would be open to discussions for programme for government, but we would drive a hard bargain because, like I said, I would not be willing to go into a government for the sake of because it. Because arguably, to that we they, would go into they could be accused and they are accused yeah. of breaching that same trust um, with the economic crash, with all the austerity cuts that, that came um, of not solving the housing crisis. They could be accused of breaching the same trust as, as you felt, you know, Labour breached with, with the public. Absolutely, and I wouldn't have a merger with Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael either for those reasons. But and you'd that... happily go into power with them. Well, I would, in essence, not is a, it's, it's a deal. It is a deal. I, I would just, I would, I would talk to all of the parties. And look, truth be told, I think it's important that you talk to all the parties and listen to them because things change. You know, when the programme for government was being put together the last time, we were in the midst of a global pandemic. Nobody could have predicted that, and you don't know what the results of an election are going to be. But of course, in terms of, you know, our policies, and then the furthest away in terms of to the right would be Fianna Gael. It's difficult to imagine how we could sync up in a programme for government where we both achieve what we want because at a very basic level, we think that the state should intervene to protect us from market failures and Fine Gael want to privatise everything. Um, so everything's an exaggeration, excuse me, but th their kind of privatisation approach is the opposite to what because, we feel the state should provide right. those services. Do you, do you feel there's going to be a change here? Because the party had the opportunity to enter talks for going into coalition in 2016 and in 2020, and they did not do so. So you, you, you would change that. You would say, yes, we would talk, we would negotiate it. We do see it as an opportunity. Yeah, and when the Social Democrats did speak to, I remember when they spoke to Fianna, Fianna Fáil after the last election, Housing was the reason that we left those talks because I think it, 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 you're right to say that like when people are in government, they're trying their best and they're accused of these things. And I do acknowledge that it is difficult, that it's not straightforward and it's about balance. Mm -hmm. And you can't promise the sun, moon and the stars and deliver all of those things. But if you say you are serious, for example, about tackling housing, why would you introduce a 0.3% rate? So we would be serious about getting specifics like that into the programme for government that would ensure action on housing. We'd have to really know and believe that those actions were going to be taken. Okay. And we'd have to have the critical mass to have that impact, which is why we're so determined to grow. Uh, you've spoken out um, before. I know you, you mm. spoke out with um, you know, uh, the group chat when you uh, explained about the online abuse that you've received and that an online stalker physically showed up outside your home and how frightening you found that as an experience. Um, and I think that resonated with a lot of women in politics about um, about. What, they've had, what they have to endure on a daily basis. And you said you might never have run for election if you knew that this is the level of abuse you receive. Mm. In becoming a party leader, is that something that you've considered now, that you are more in the spotlight, that your profile is naturally raised by that? It absolutely is something that I considered in making this decision. It was a big decision. But I decided that I absolutely wouldn't let it deter me. Uh, so... When you sat down and considered it, because I know you've had to shut constituency clinics and not operate them, so it has been something that has 
influences, uh, influenced and impacted on your political life? Mm. What, what sort of what did you have to weigh up? I suppose, like even in that, with that in that regard, in terms of constituency clinics, I still meet all of the people who want to meet me. I just have to do it on an appointment kind of basis and do it in a, in a safer mm. way, which is a little bit of extra planning and things like that, but it's absolutely doable. And, you know, I have put in place different security measures and stuff since then. And I just think the best way to address, and it, like you say, it connected with a lot of other women, not just women in politics or in journalism or in public life, but women all over the country have experienced kind of sometimes negative attention, stalking, different things like that. And, you know, stepping back from a role like this because of it, it just isn't the way that I'm going to step back from this. It's not, you know, I'm not going to be kind of defeated by it. And I don't mean that I'm going to kind of really prove a point. It's just for me personally. Um, I'm not going to let it stop me. In a way, has it driven you to this point? Has it made you say, you know... I can be leader, leader, and I'm not going to let stop me because otherwise those online abusers win in this situation. No, I don't think it was. I mean, in coming to the decision about being leader, it was more, I was really thinking, why do you want to do this? What do you want to do it for? Do you reasonably believe that that can be achieved? And so is it worth it? Because it is a sacrifice in terms of uh, your life, your privacy and all of those things. And it's because I genuinely believe in the Social Democrats and the potential that we have going forward and the need for that kind of a party in the country at the moment. And it was more that things like that would have been coming into my mind as a consideration, but what about this, but what about that? And that consideration simply wasn't enough to stop me. OK, and briefly, People Before Profit has written to the Social Democrats, Ed Sinn Féin and to other left-wing independents to open a conversation about the formation of a left government. Are you open to that conversation? Um, I suppose we'll go into the programme for government talks after the general election is normally how that works. And like I said, we're open to talking to all of the political parties. But nothing in advance? No, I don't think there's any need. Or look, I haven't read the wording of the letter. It's been a really busy day. Um, but I will have a look at the exact wording um, I'm, I'm not entirely sure at the moment, but I think going into an agreement now, I'm not entirely sure what their, what their plan is, but I'll look into it. OK. Holly Carnes, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you very studio. much. And we'll leave it there. My thanks to Holly. Coming up next, the drop in electric tariffs that will help businesses but leave householders out in the cold. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG.
Welcome back. Electric Ireland has brought in new electrical tariffs, which means good news for businesses, but not for homeowners or householders. And the struggle people are facing was laid bare with St. Vincent de Paul saying today that they have received 230,000 calls for help, 40% of them related to energy costs. Well, let's get more on this. I'm joined now by Fianna Fáil TD, Willie O'Dea, journalist Valerie Cox and Dara Casti from bonkers.ie. Um, you're very welcome along to the programme tonight. Um, Dara, look, if you just lay out for us, um, firstly, what we are seeing Electric Ireland doing, because the big question is why they're introducing the cut in this way, not extending it across the board, um, and, you know, giving businesses the discount ahead of householders right now. Yes, I can understand the frustration for households, although I am hopeful that we'll see price decreases for households in the second half of this year, but maybe not quite to the extent that we need to bring them back to more normal levels. But I'm getting too complicated. The commercial energy sector or the you know, where businesses get their energy from and the prices they pay is different to the residential sector. Mm. And believe it or not, some of the SMEs have actually been hit with even bigger price increases than households have. Um, even just in January, Electric Ireland announced a price increase of around maybe 40% on average for SMEs. So this 10% reduction kind of needs to be put into context. And I think maybe there's a feeling as well that businesses lobbied for this or this price reduction is at the expense of households. I wouldn't really see it like that. Like I said, the commercial market and the residential markets are quite separate. Some SMEs who obviously provide jobs, they provide income for people. Um, it's important that they survive this. They've been hit with some really, really, really huge price increases themselves. Uh, and actually, even after this 10% on average price decrease, uh, most SMEs will actually still be paying probably more for their electricity mm. than households. But, you know, they put the prices up really quickly in terms of, like, double-digit increases almost as soon as we heard the word war, um, when it was not immediately matching wholesale prices. So the question, and it has been said by the Taoiseach as well today, it, it appears that they're very cautious at pulling it back down when they went up so quickly... Um, why, why the delay in pulling those prices back? Well, Other than did, what people will suspect. They is, did go up, but they didn't go up by the well. levels of what we would have expected. I mean, at one stage last summer, for several weeks, the price of gas on the UK wholesale markets, we import most of our gas via the UK, was up by over 1,000%. And at one stage, the price of electricity was up by over 400%. And on some days, it was up over 500%. Now, nobody's bills went up by that amount. Mm. So as difficult as it is for households and viewers to probably realise, but in some ways we were shielded from the full brunt of the price increases, but because of hedging and because of when and how suppliers buy their energy, it does mean that the price decreases are going to take a little bit longer to pass through. Val, in terms of Electric Ireland now giving a, a bit of a discount, but they did hike it up in January before pulling it back by about 10 to 15% for business yeah. owners, we're hearing. Um, and giving nothing to householders, you're not remotely happy about this? No, I'm not. I think it's outrageous, particularly when we look at it, at the number of people who actually couldn't afford to heat their homes. I mean, it doubled last year, which is absolutely outrageous. And, you know, this is an absolute insult to older people who are being asked to look after themselves, to heat their homes. The government keeps telling them to keep warm. And it's a time in their lives when they shouldn't have to be worried 
about bills going, I mean, not just up a little bit, but outrageously high. These people are on a fixed pension and it's a very, very hard thing to throw this at them. They're afraid to turn on the heat. People living alone say, well, why should I turn on the heat just for me? In the middle of it all, and I mean, people laugh at this, but it's actually true. The sale of hot water bottles has rocketed. Now, I don't have the figure for Ireland, but in the UK, it's gone up by sixfold um, from Christmas until now, which is, you know, it's, it's a reflection are you saying, of society. Are you saying to, to the electricity providers, the likes of Electric Ireland, don't do it to businesses if you can't do it across the board? Yes, I'm saying do it for businesses, but do it as well for all our mm. vulnerable population out there. Uh, Willie O'Dea, to bring you in on this, does this make you squirm um, when you hear what Electric Ireland are doing? When obviously you hear stories from your own constituency, I'm, I, I imagine I'm going to hear a couple now about uh, about the, the, the struggles that people have. It's not just um, it, it's countrywide. It's St Vincent de Paul saying it, um, and yet it's it's businesses that are getting relief at this point, and it's not across the board. Does that make you uncomfortable? It does. Um, you know, I, what you say is correct. I mean, I'm inundated literally, particularly in recent weeks, with people who's, who've just got their energy bills and who have been really taken aback by the size of them and by how much, by how much they've increased. Now, there is, as has been said, a good case for reducing uh, costs to SMEs because, you know, when, when, when uh, you reduce costs to business, I mean, that, that benefits consumers as well because obviously mm. uh, the, the prices, it, it, it is an effect on the price. But there is a there is a time lag, of course, between the between the change a drop in wholesale prices by the time you can uh, translate that onto the retail sector. But they can do but it for businesses it, it, now. That's, what I'm, that's the point I was just going to make. They have been able to do it for business, so I think it's time that they did it for consumers. I, unless there's is that all the word that's going to come for government? No, is, no. is a kind of no a request. No, no, um, no, to no, electricity the, providers the, no, the, the, to bring the in discounts now. No, the t-shirt no, t- uh, uh, made it quite clear in the doll today that he personally, the minister has already spoken to the energy providers. The Taoiseach is arranging to meet them, I think, later this week uh, to more or less instruct them to do it, as I understand it. But in addition to that, uh, the government are about to is, impose is a super tax. Is that what's going to happen, do you think, Willie? Well, well it's, going to be, it's going to be a, 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 a what's, what's the expression, a full and frank, a very frank and frank conversation, I would say. The Taoiseach will be, I mean, the Taoiseach gave examples from his own constituency of people coming to him, the same as they're coming to me. But th- there's also the question, of course, of a tax so would you expect a promise or a plan or something to come from that meeting? So just because, I mean, that is always the criticism made mm. um, of government that you can say, you know, pass on these discounts, you know, Pinergy brought it down and we had the housing minister yeah. saying, you know, this should be this should be happening, everyone should be doing this, but of course they don't have to. Yeah, well, look, I'm, 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 I would expect something to come from it, but remember the, the, the tax on the profits is, is, is on the way anyway. I'm a bit disappointed the legislation for that hasn't appeared yet. I, he assured the House today that it would appear in the next couple of weeks and that will enable the government to take back a considerable portion of those profits and redistribute them to, to keep down costs for, for uh, okay. consumers. Well, we expect help on the way then. Yeah, but I think if you look at the figures from Vincent de Paul, I mean, forget the taxes, forget the various manipulations. I mean, that is the case on the ground. And what the only thing that's going to fix all of this is if we had a minister for older people, somebody in the cabinet... Shall we have Mary Butler? A full ministry for older people where somebody is going to say, hang on, guys, stop. This is not on. And we don't hear that. But there is, like Mary Butler would be that person, Val. But we don't hear it. We certainly don't hear it. Right. Um, 
Well, I, I think that's rather unfair. I mean, I mean Mary Buckle has worked, has worked tirelessly. It can do. I mean, we look at VAS. I know the VAS has been reduced from 13.5% to 9%, which is welcome. Um, it should be kept at that, maybe even reduced even further to 5%. That's something that the government could do quite easily. Even though the VAT rate has been reduced, the government is actually still taking in more each year because prices are so high, and I don't mm -hmm. think that's correct. So I think the government wants to push all the blame onto the energy companies, whereas I think there's some things that it could do itself. There's also just the regulation and the efficiency of the electricity market in Ireland as well. We have quite high prices. This issue around planning, uh, wind farms getting cheaper renewables onto the grid. Uh, that's all within the government's power to do if it wants to. Well, well the, VAT, the VAT has been, the 9% the, the, the VAT rate has been maintained until October. And if it's necessary to maintain it after that, not to increase it after that, yeah. that will be done. But let but me say. But the tax that, take is still good. It's good from government the, the, when, the, you're seeing, the, the is, when you're seeing. The tax take is. When you're seeing. When you're seeing. And, and we're seeing know, the if, prices of electricity any, at the moment. In any form of indirect taxation, whether it be VAT or whatever, I mean, the more the price goes up, the more tax the government collects. But there is another side to the story. Remember, the government has just put a, a billion and a quarter into they put four and a quarter billion in in the budget, in the, in the, just five and a half billion right. in the space of three months. Okay. Um, I suppose the questions will be put again and we might get to them on, I suppose, targeted reliefs for, say, older people mm. and in that, in that regard. But I want to bring in um, a, a small business owner now, Ella Otrahovska. Thank you for joining us on the programme. You're owner of um, uh, a shop in the heart of, of, of Mount Melick in County Leash, Your Stop, um, it's called. And tell us about how your business and how the energy crisis has really impacted uh, your business and its survival. Uh, my business at the moment is suffering a lot and it's actually under risk of uh, of closure because my earnings extremely dropped um, before Christmas because people basically have no money. Uh, but my energy cost uh, raised over 100% and I'm physically not able to run the business anymore. Um, my bills are going, going up and there is no payment plan for me that I will be able to reach. Your bills have doubled, haven't they, in size um, from €2,000 to €4,000 and you are in, in debt as a result, Ella, are you? I am. Uh, actually, my bills raised between last year and this year. Uh, it was When I took over the business, it was €2,000 a week, around, uh, month, sorry, around now. It was four and a half thousand euros a month. And now I'm in the debt over €10,000, which I'm not able to pay. Um, I rank my uh, electricity provider a few days ago, crying on the phone and begging them for help and for any sort of um, payment plan. Um, they did give me payment plan, but I'm not able to reach it. It's impossible for me to reach it uh, when I have rent to pay and six local pay employees to be paid as well. So it's impossible for me to do it. And I, I actually don't know what I'm going to do in the next few weeks if nothing going to happen. Ella, I can just, uh, I can tell from you the toll that it is taking on you personally as you try to keep a business afloat in these times. So tell me, when you hear about this discount being offered now, 10 to 15% um, for business owners, for businesses, will that help you? It won't help me to pay with my debt, basically. Uh, it will help me a little bit because anything is better than nothing. Uh, but I still owe them over 10,000 euros and I don't know how I'm going to pay it because I'm probably going to get the disconnection warning soon. Um, I got two already. Uh, I was able to talk them through and they they kind of left it on the side so they're not threatening me of disconnection anymore. 
but I won't be surprised if I'm going to get another one very soon. So, you know, I can see that my bills are dropping. I'm not going to lie to you. I can see that they are a little bit lower for past two months. Still, I am not able to pay for them because uh, my earnings extremely dropped before Christmas because people have no money to spend can anymore. I ask you about the government grants that are, are, are being provided for, for small businesses. Are they helping you at all? No, because I'm not tax cleared. And the first requirement on the revenue website, even if you have a look at it, it says you have to be tax cleared. I don't think there is any business uh, that is tax cleared within the uh, first two years of, of running the business. So that, that's basically Perhaps it. Ella. I mean, Willie, when you hear um, Ella's situation there, that even that a discount, it's, it's, hel it's helpful, but it's really a drop in the ocean for businesses, especially young businesses who've racked up an awful lot of debt um, dealing with these chronically high bills. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm familiar personally with a lot of small businesses just like Ellis in my own city that have gone under despite the fact that they benefited from the from the uh, reduction in the hospitality, VAT, etc. And it is very difficult. Nobody can nobody can dispute that. I mean, the government didn't cause this problem. I mean, the in inflation arose directly as a result of, the, the first of all, the COVID uh, pandemic and secondly, the war in the Ukraine, which yeah. is an important I mean, no, problem. We also know we but, also do, we also do know that those wholesale energy prices have come back down. Yes, and to what they're at eighteen months ago pre-war. And really. and and the retail prices will come down accordingly. And very. But what I'm do you confident. say? What do you say to someone like Ella tonight who is seriously feeling the struggle? Well, the one thing I noticed keeping a business afloat and yeah. jobs in the mix as oh, well. I, there. I appreciate that. Well, the one thing the one thing I do notice in relation to my own people who come to me. Um, very people come to me because they, you know they can't pay their bills and arrears are building up, etc. But very few people. I think nobody has actually said to me yet that they're actually going to be disconnected. I think that the energy companies seem to be holding off on disconnected. So while are, there might be disconnection that. warnings, there might be disconnection warnings. But you're, I've had no you're evidence saying of actual you haven't seen, seen that so. happening. Um, you know, on this one, Dara, when you hear um, Ella's situation, it seems that there are some companies and it's a young business, mm -hmm. so therefore. She can't necessarily, she's saying, avail of those grants that are that are on offer, um, um, those aids that can really keep a business afloat in And as times. you said, there are some companies that are falling through the cracks, which is unfortunate. And this is where the government needs to reach out to those companies and see what it can do. But this is why I'm not disappointed that there's been a 10% price decrease. Listening to some of the commentary, mm -hmm. it almost feels like Electric Ireland are probably saying, why did we even bother? Because, you know, they're getting almost a, a negative commentary for having gone ahead and reduced this for businesses. But as you can see, there's plenty of businesses that really, really need it. And as I keep saying, the commercial market is slightly different. And I really do think that in a few months' time, if gas prices stay where they are, we are going to see reductions for households. Now, they may not be huge, but certainly in the meantime, I do welcome the reductions for businesses and I don't spite them for us because as that woman has shown, she really, really needs us. Just, just one point, Claire. Sorry, there is a specific scheme in place to assist businesses who are affected by the direct uh, increase in energy costs. That scheme has proved to be very complex. It has been simplified and expanded, so hopefully it'll help a lot more businesses okay. now. Um, um, Val, on that one, when we hear about Ella's plight and the yeah. situation she's in, and we're not talking about big corporations, we're no. talking about, you know, shops in the locality um, and keeping them afloat and jobs yeah, afloat I mean, as well. It's loses, a difficult situation for everyone. It's, it's incredible if somebody loses a shop, 
in a small village or a town is very important to the local people. And she, I was reading about her earlier and she seems to be putting in the most amazing hours and she's put in a new deli and a coffee mm -hmm. place where the youngsters go in in the evening and, you know, they're out of trouble, they're in a safe place having a coffee. I mean, we should be out there supporting this woman and other people like Absolutely. her. Absolutely. And Ella, just briefly on that, if you're still with me, and I'm not sure you can still hear me, um, you really wanted to make the point that you are noticing the crunch with customers who can't afford, afford to pay for their shopping, they can't afford to pay for their food, and you're helping them. Yes, there is a few people that, that can't put the, the bread on their table, and I do have an account for them. Um, this is the very honest people that I know. They're always coming back to me Thursday morning and paying for their goods. Obviously, they're not getting alcohol or cigarette. They're getting food that they need, and I will always help them um, because this is the way I am. I always help kids, and they're always around me. They're supporting me in the morning. They're supporting me on their lunch. And where they're there in the evenings, I always let the kids to make five euro, 10 euro, helping us bring out the pallets and helping put out the stuff on the shelves. And they're so grateful. And these kids are safe. They are there with us all day and all evening until we close at nine o'clock. They're not hanging around under the bridge anymore. They are in Ellis. And their parents know that they are safe, that they will go home after. And if I'm not going to get any help, uh, Montmelik will lose the shop in the heart of town. That's all I want to say. Uh, it sounds, Ella, like you are offering so much more um, than just a shop there, so much more to the people of Mount Melek. Thank you for joining us on the programme tonight. We're going to leave it Thank there. Thank you very much. And my thanks to Dara Cassidy as well. Uh, and Ella, as I say, William Valerie will be staying on with me as we look at the Chief Medical Officer's call to return to the things you love after COVID. Welcome back. The Chief Medical Officer has urged older people to reconnect with other people three years on from the first case of COVID in the country. Professor Breda Smith says, if you haven't yet returned to doing the things that you love, I'm encouraging you to do so now. Well, Willie O'Dea and Valerie Cox are still with me. I'm joined by mental health expert and GP Harry Barry, author of the book, The Power of Connection. It's all about the power of connection. It is. Um, Harry, it's, it's, it seems to be what Dr. Breda Smith is saying today. Um, it's time to reconnect. It's time to what reconnect. What do you think about the, the, the timing of this message and it coming um, now to older people to, to step well, outside? I, I think it's an honest reflection on the reality that since the pandemic, as I discussed in the Power of Connect, since the pandemic, older people, a, lot, a cohort of older people have not returned to normal life. How many people do we see in the streets, say, with a mask on, even though there's no reason to wear a mask? How many people have not returned to doing all the ordinary things that they're not connecting with friends, they're not going down to the local library, they're not going to mass in some cases, they're not going to their bingo and their, all the different things that they're, they're not connecting up with their friends. And a lot of this is created by anxiety. It's, it's like this, anxiety is all about, I want certainty that this doesn't happen again. And what happens if I get COVID and I start catastrophizing how often it'll be? Forgetting, of course, the fact that we're now totally vaccinated, that the levels of COVID are very much down, the risks are very much reduced. And I, I, I would have a real message for so many people out there, and I really want to get this message across. Loneliness is a much more serious condition than anything that's going to be caused by the COVID uh, pandemic as it now is, which is actually waning. And I think that the CMO is realising that we know that loneliness 
ups your cortisol levels, for example, and increases your inflammatory responses in the body. And what happens to us then, we're more likely to get heart disease, cancers, we're more likely to get depressed. So if you want to damage your physical and mental health, the best way is to stay away from other people, to not socially interconnect. We need this wonderful interconnection, the emotional response and the nourishment and, and the and, and I, I would love to see us to do things like return to your local library, which is a, a, the simplest place in the world you can go, full of all kinds of things going on there, community groups and yeah. learn your computers and all but, that kind of stuff. Try and get back to meeting, reconnect. If, if, if you did nothing else for me, I want you to reconnect with at least one other person that you haven't seen in a while. Contact them, move out, don't contact them on the phone, go out and have a cup of coffee with them, meet up, start connecting again, because we, we've got to get back to our volunteers and we've got to back to age-friendly university courses. Yeah. We, you know, there's so much out there for you. It's just a question of you have to be brave enough and you have to understand that it's, 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 it's your there. fear versus the serious damage that loneliness will cause to your physical and mental health. And it actually seems sort of grossly unfair, doesn't it, Val? Because for a lot yeah. of people, what Harry is saying there, like, we've done that. We've stepped out, we've come back to work, we, you know, to a workplace yeah. and, or we out and about meeting our friends, you know, yeah. and we are, we are living our lives. Um, but for, for older people, in many yeah. cases, that's not happening. No, and it's very nice, this letter that came from the CMO, but I really think this is a job for the government. And I have a few suggestions. One of them, Harry just touched on there. Why not scrap fees for older people and let them undertake a course in a university or a local college? Encourage older people to take a job, run for election, run for the council seats, and the government gave older people nothing during the lockdown. They couldn't even claim from work, for working from home if they were over 65. So why not give every over 65-year-old a voucher for a holiday in Ireland worth about 200 quid? Why not give but them... But you coupons? wouldn't, I tell you, you wouldn't. It would have to be more than 200 Well, it probably would. Wouldn't but we get should very give far. them things like coupons for the tea shops in there. Why are you laughing at that? I'm because, not laughing. you know, do you remember the board Fulcher vouchers? Yes. Where we tried to encourage people to holiday in Ireland? Mm. Well, this would be killing two birds with one stone, wouldn't it? And the do other... Think, yeah, actually interesting. Look, we, we, uh, just to get... Uh, uh, to let you in on, on that, Willie, do you think that there, there should be more incentives, there should be more done to help older people who did feel like prisoners during the pandemic? And in many ways, we heard criticism at the time, they felt infantilised. They were told to cocoon, um, stay away from other family members. They were really left um, very alone and lonely during this period. That's very true. And, uh, you know, I mean, the, the, the older people were extraordinarily compliant. I mean, they, they, they followed the rules and they, when they were told to cocoon or, shield, or be shielded, they were they, they took that advice seriously because, yeah, because they thought they were, they were acting in the national interest. They were Abs fearful. Absolutely. Well, also... So they, do, you think, they, do you actually think that, the, you know, the government's handling around that is something that really should be should be looked at it now? Will be look, it will be looked at in the, in the, in the uh, public inquiry, in the inquiry that's about to take place. But remember one thing, that a lot of the government decisions that were made at that time were made in real time. I mean, I mean, you know, you can remember the state of panic at the start of the, of the pandemic, etc. There was no particular pattern to follow. This was new. And obviously some things were done that, were, that will, will, will be sure to be mistaken. And that will be shown up. That's why there was an inquiry. But I would, I would endorse the CMO's report 
and I would, I would, I would, I would urge all people, to t- or elderly people, or the cohort who haven't got out, to take that advice. And you know, I mean, you have some very useful suggestions there for incentives, and I, I shall certainly pass them on, on to government. I'll take, I'll pass them on to my colleagues. All right, and briefly on it, Harry. Um, you know, do you feel now because there is still like that word of caution and that you know that we need to be cautious that you know this may come again, or there's still people and there's people living with long COVID and like it hasn't gone away. There are still COVID cases in the community, and um, that people should just so set that aside. I, I I think it's like this. You know, if you take the older courts and Valerie will probably agree with me here, you've only a certain amount of time left in your life, and you have a choice really. You can hide away and fear and not do things. Or you can say, to hell with it, you know what I mean? OK, there is a percentage chance that you might pick up something, but there's a hell of a greater percentage chance that you're going to get sick from loneliness. And you're going to, you're going to get very mentally distressed, you know what I mean? You're going to get very down. So I would actually say this is an individual decision okay. more, than a, more than a government decision. I want people to look into their own and heart and get out there okay. and take just that step. take that step. Yeah. There we have to leave it. That is all from us. Uh, my thanks to the panel tonight, from everybody here. Good night and do take care. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.